we'll be doing the same passages. And traditionally, Advent, uh, you look to the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures. And so uh, today we'll be looking, uh, it's a little longer than is in your bulletin because the actual passage starts in chapter 63. So the lectionary only gave us part of it, but this is a unit. Uh, it is a communal lament. If it sounds like the Psalms, that's because it is the same kind of genre of the Psalms. And uh, it's a very powerful, powerful lament. Isaiah 63:64 was written after the uh, Jewish people had returned from exile in Babylon. So it's written in the 520s, 530s BCE. Um, and when they came back, they've come back to the ruins of the land. So uh, the backdrop is a little bit stark. So listen to the word of God. I actually begin chapter 63, verse 15. Listen to the word of God. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? Your great pity, your compassion are withheld from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer, from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you let us stray from your ways and let our hearts harden so that we do not fear you? Turn back for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your heritage. Your holy people took possession for a little while, but now our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have long been like those whom you do not rule, like those not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That mountain might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountain quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father and we are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O oh Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. After all this, will you restrain yourself, O Lord? Will you keep silent 
and punish us so severely. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words, both within and without, open you to us and us to you, that we may hear you anew. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hope Among the Ruins. This inscription was found on the wall of a cellar in Cologne where a number of Jews hid themselves um, during the duration of World War II. The poem goes like this. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when feeling it not. I believe in God, even when he is silent. Where do people find hope in the darkest of times? Without escaping into your own worlds. I mean, that's part of the trouble right now, right? There's a lot of escapism in our culture. And I understand part of it is we're just overwhelmed, right? There's just so much we see and it makes us feel helpless. And I think humans have always found ways to kind of escape from reality. But that's not really hope, right? That's not really hope. I think again and again, where we see hope present in times of despair is because individuals or groups of people have faith in something bigger than themselves, something bigger than the time or the troubles in which they are in. I'm reading uh, John Meacham's uh, latest book on Abraham Lincoln. It's entitled, And There Was Light. Uh, it just came out this year. Matter of fact, uh, there is a book club this Thursday, uh, online book club that Hildeen is sponsoring. If you want to be a part of that, uh, you can go to their website. Uh, Stephanie at Hildeen is leading it, but I'm planning on um, being part of it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Um, and I like the way Beecham writes anyway. And one of the things that I find really interesting, how did Lincoln maintain the will and the hope to go on? I don't know if you know much about his early life. His uh, mother was an illegitimate uh, person from a pretty questionable family, a lot of scandalous activity there in what is now West Virginia. Matter of fact, uh, she was born pretty near uh, where I was born. And those were wild days. Hasn't gotten much better there. Uh, just kidding. Well, kind of kidding. Yeah. His father was a was a was a man who had been traumatized. His father saw uh, his own father killed by uh, a Native American, and so his early life was full of tragedy and deprivation. They were dirt poor, literally. He himself kind of inherited the melancholy of his family. We know that he lost children, married to, married to a woman who herself struggled with melancholy. And on top of that, he had the burden of the war. Maybe, if not, I think, arguably, the most difficult situation any president has ever faced. And it's interesting, as I read this book, it's, it's remarkable because it's, in many ways, a psychological and moral biography Lincoln believed in democracy. He believed in the American experiment. He believed deeply in the evil of slavery. 
and that it needed to stop. And he also had this faith in God. It wasn't a conventional one, but he had a faith in God that evolved into a belief that he was God's instrument. Meacham says this, Lincoln was not all he might have been. Few human beings ever are. But he was more than many men have ever been. We could have done worse, and we have. And as Lincoln himself would readily acknowledge, we can always do better. But we will do so only if we see Lincoln and ourselves in whole. It fell to Abraham Lincoln to shed the light in the darkest hours. I think hope is particularly a powerful thing because it comes to us in our imperfections. It comes to us in the midst of compromised, dangerous, and sad times. Advent is the season where we both acknowledge what the Gospel of John says. Jesus was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And we also, with the latter prophets, recognize that darkness still reigns in many places in this world. It still reigns in many hearts. And sometimes that darkness and shadows even comes into the journey of faith. Isaiah 64 gives voice to hope in the ruins. Literally, the ruins of Jerusalem in the time of the exile. But it's also the ruins of a faith. A faith that needs to change. A faith that is challenged by the past. A faith that's trying to be reborn in a new present. Claus Vosterman uh, wrote on this passage. He was one of the greatest Old Testament scholars of the second half of the 20th century. He was a pastor in the Confessing Church, which was a church that opposed Hitler, and that got him drafted as a private and sent to the Eastern Front. It's a miracle that he survived. So he was someone who saw a lot of suffering and death and survived many dangerous situations, including a Russian prison. In writing on this particular passage, he said, this may be the most powerful communal psalm of lamentation in the entire Bible. Now, the book of Psalms is made up about 50 to 70% of laments. Okay, What is a lament? A lament is a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, and confusion. So what does sorrow, pain, and confusion have to do with hope? I think everything. I think everything. You know, one of the tragedies of not reading the Bible, people don't know the Bible, is because the Bible is extremely honest. Okay. There's a lot of dishonest religion out there, but the Bible is remarkably honest. In over half of the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible are angry, are upset, are full of questions. The psalmist, said, or the, the writer of Isaiah 64 goes, look down from heaven and see, where is your zeal? Oh Lord, why did you go away? Oh, that you would rend heaven and come down, 
In other words, where are you, God? We need you, but you're nowhere to be found right now. But you know what's powerful about that? Is that he's praying that. He is voicing his disappointment, his doubt, in the form of a prayer. And that's proof of a relationship. Faith is not the guarantee that our lives are going to be happy and free from disaster. Faith is having someone to talk to in the midst of that disaster. I remember one time visiting somebody who was dying and he was an angry person dying. And uh, I had been visiting him for a while and after about the fourth visit, I said, I'm gonna pray for you. And he goes, I don't want you to. And I go, I don't think you can stop me. <laughs> he was in pretty bad shape, which made him laugh. And he goes, well, I just want you to know I don't believe in what you're about to say. I go, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. The good news is God believes in you. See, part of the hope of, of the faith is being able to complain, to doubt, to be angry, to be sad. The other reason this is a sign of hope is it's a communal lament. You don't need to suffer alone. You're part of a family. This is a family of faith. This is not First Congregational Church, Big White Steeple. This is the family of God gathered here. And we really need to get over this radical individualism that separates us from each other. It's killing the country. It's killing the country. But you've been given the gift of being together, of not being alone, even when things are not going well, even when faith isn't working, right? That's the great thing about saying the prayers together and the creed together. On the Sundays, you don't believe it. On the Sundays, you can't pray. The people around you are praying, praying you through it. And the other thing about this lament is that it addresses God as Father. The Hebrew scriptures hardly ever use that phrase. This is one of the very few places in the entire Old Testament, in the entire Hebrew scriptures, where God is addressed as Father. It's interesting. He goes, I don't know what it means to be a child of Abraham. I don't know what it means to be an Israel, Israel, Israelite anymore. But you're, my, you're our father and, and we need you. You're all we have left, is pretty much what he's saying here. We are the clay, you are the potter. Hope. Not optimism, not optimism. <laughs> not much you can do when it's 56 to nothing. Right? <laughs> there aren't any plays you can call. 
By that point, they had the dance team out there playing against us. And they were still scoring. <laughs> and dance team, by the way, are excellent athletes. All right, I know, I have my, I married into the theater. <laughs> right, they are, they are great athletes. Now, hope is that you're not alone. Hope is that you can bring it all to God, to be honest to God. Hope means you can pray to someone you're not sure is there. Thomas Alik says this, we need faith precisely at those twilight moments when our lives and the world are full of uncertainty. During the cold night of God's silence. And its function is not to allay our thirst for certainty and safety, but to teach us to live with mystery. Faith and hope are expressions of our patience at just such moments. And so is love. Faith is for those twilight moments full of uncertainty. The power of Advent is that there's a light shining in the world. It may just be a candle. But behind that candle is, is the belief that the flame of God's love is going to burst into this world. And that's what we believe happens on Christmas. But we can only appreciate that light if we're honest about the darkness. There's a great scene in uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption where Andy, uh, who's doing some work for the warden, locks uh, the guard out and locks the warden out and puts Mozart on the loudspeaker. I don't know if you remember that scene or not. And he's playing Mozart throughout so all the prisoners can see and can hear it. And they're banging on the door to get him. Uh, and he plays a duet from The Marriage of Figaro, a beautiful piece of music. And the narrator says, for just a few minutes, we all felt transformed by that music. We were all free for a few minutes. Well, Andy ends up being put uh, in solitary confinement in the hole for two weeks. He comes out and they're joking with him. He says, it was worth it. It was worth it. So I listened to that Mozart the whole time I was in the hole. And they go, did you take the record player with you? He goes, no, it was inside of me. That's something they can't take from me. It was inside. There's something they can't touch. And someone said, well, what is it that they can't touch? And he says, hope. To which Red says, hope is a dangerous thing, my friend. It can kill a man. And I think hope that is masking as optimism actually is a dangerous thing because it makes us live in denial. It makes us hold on to naive positions. It makes us look the other way why horrible things are happening that we can do something about. But hope is a different thing. Later on, Andy 
sends a letter to Red as Red gets out and it says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, and no good thing dies. The hope we have as Christians is based on God's eternal promise to be with us always, even to the end of the world. It doesn't mean we'll feel it. It doesn't mean we'll always live it. It doesn't mean we live up to it. It doesn't always mean we proclaim it clearly. It certainly doesn't mean we're going to feel it all the time. That, that we have placed our faith in the reality of the good that God will do. That is hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand and say what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed.